Well, if you ask me, it ought to be a national holiday. Yeah, fall back Sunday. You get an extra hour of your life back. It's like, here it is, it's a gift. And you can do with it whatever you want. This should be a national holiday. And why don't we do it every single day? Okay, scratch that. Okay, but guys, when you think about this holiday, you get to gain a little bit of rest. What do you do with that one extra hour? Probably just sleep a little. Um, but think about it this way, kind of in a more metaphorical sense. You're, you're like, you, you, re, you gain a little bit of replenishment, rejuvenation, and rest. Maybe you've been running on the ragged edge. And uh, you get to reset your clock, kind of recalibrate your life. Like, this is a new beginning, this fallback Sunday, all right? So I want to talk to you about that. What do you do with this opportunity that's given to you? Not just for on one day, that should be a national holiday, but, but on every day. And, and, and guys, um, we're starting a new series uh, today in the book of Acts. We've come to a new section, and this new series is called Live His Mission, Love His Church. Live His Mission, Love His Church. And I hope that this next three weeks in the book of Acts, this early record, this journal of the early church written by uh, the great Dr. Luke in the ancient times uh, will really uh, rejuvenate you. And today in particular, we're going to start by talking about thriving in the next chapter of your life. So I, I, I want to think of us this way, guys. Uh, think of it like you've kind of survived Okay, yeah, maybe it's been a little rugged recently. Maybe it's been a little rugged for like a year and a half. But let's think about, okay, what if today we kind of say, all right, it's time to turn the page. It's time to say, all right, I'm ready for the next chapter. And I don't want to just survive like I did the last chapter, uh, maybe, but I really want to thrive in the next chapter. And we're going to learn some principles from Acts chapter 20 about how to do this. And uh, I want to take you through them together. So Acts chapter 20 is the end of the third missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And in it begins and opens up to a new opportunity. And he's going to kind of set the course for the future of the people of the church. And so that's us. And so we get to learn a lot about what is written here by Dr. Luke about thriving, not just surviving in this next chapter of your life. Okay, so fall back, but spring forward. All right, fall back on the clock, but let's move forward and thrive in the next chapter of your life. First principle I want to give to you today, turn to Acts chapter 20 in your journal or on your phone or in your Bible or on the screen here. The first principle is realize that the church has a mission and the mission has a church. The church has a mission and the mission has a church. Okay, so picking it up from last weekend, if you remember, there was that huge disturbance, a great disturbance about the way. And there was a huge riot in the city of Ephesus at the amphitheater. If you weren't here last weekend, catch up, you'll find out what happened. But it was a huge to-do. But guess what? The church came sailing through that. The culture lost its mind, but the church church kept its cool. And that's what we want to do. But now, verse 1, after the uproar was over. I love that. It's like, okay, that chapter is done. We survived it. Nobody got killed in the, in, in, this, in the scene in the amphitheater. The uproar was over. And now, 
a new beginning. And for us, maybe there's been some unsettling things in your life, and now it's time to thrive in the next chapter. The uproar is over. Paul sent for the disciples, encouraged them, and after saying farewell, departed to go to Macedonia. So now he's leaving Ephesus after all that big uproar, and now he's going, he's saying goodbye, and he's heading to Macedonia. Along the way here, you're going to notice some words here, and they're, they're church words like people, that's what, who the church is, and then there's mission words. And so uh, uh, Paul disciples, but then mission, he encouraged them, and then mission, he's going somewhere, he's going to Greece, he's going to Macedonia, all right? Verse two, and when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, that's another good mission word, encouraging the church, helping one another. He came to Greece, another good mission word, and stayed three months. So people, mission, church, and mission. The church has a mission. Yeah, we have somewhere to go and to do and to become and to be transformed and to transform others through the gospel. But we also um, have people, we, we, we are people, uh, we, we, are, we are his disciples. He's, he's forming and shaping us. All right, so keep going. It says, um, the Jews plotted against him. So now you've got another issue that happens when you're on mission. Some people oppose you. Some people challenge you. They don't encourage you. Uh, when he was about to set sail for Syria, so he's, he's about ready to go on the next leg of his mission, so he decided to go back through Macedonia. So apparently they're plotting against him and they must be watching the seaports and they're like, can't go that way, gotta go the land route. And so there's some strategy here. There's some you know, difficulty here, some threats here. He's gotta be smart about this and he's gotta set his mission course and there's some thinking and wisdom that that takes. Then we return to verse four and we get to people. He was accompanied by Sopator, son of Phyrus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, uh, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, we know Timothy, his son in the faith, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. A lot of people there listed. And you know, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, pauses sometimes to mention names. And some of them we know a little bit about, some we don't know hardly anything about. But he pauses to mention names because even though we may not know them all, they were important. People are important. They had individual gifts, abilities, and they were faithful to Jesus. And they were willing to go with a man named Paul who was being threatened with his life, plots against him. And they were willing to associate. They stuck with him. And they also stuck with the mission. You get it? The, the church has a mission, and the mission has a church. It's both the cause that we go for and the people that we do the cause with. It's, it's, we need both of those, okay? And it says, these men went on ahead, so now forward motion in the mission, and waited for us in Troas. Interesting that Luke says, waited for us. He now includes himself in the story because he is joins the team here so he's an eyewitness to these events so Luke uh, joins Paul's team and they they waited for us in, in Troas but we sailed from Philippi after the feast of unleavened bread and in five days we reached them at Troas where we spent seven days so you know you can read through this and th these are maybe parts of the you know the Bible that you're reading through and you kind of go, your eyes kind of glaze over and you kind of just read real fast and you just get through all the names and dates and places and so forth but, but pause just for a minute and say, 
they're talking about mission, where they're going, the places they're going, the, 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 the disciples they are uh, making a difference in, but they're also uh, with people, teams, friends, co-workers in the gospel. And uh, he just shares that because he wants the world to know. And for 2,000 years, we have a record of it, that these people are important and that this mission is important. So the first thing, if you're going to thrive in the next season of your life, you're going to need the church and we need to pursue the mission. So sometimes, you know, if you, if you get in certain groups of folks, they're going to emphasize one of those over the others. They're going to say it's all about the people and, and about just gathering together and about just getting to know each other and having relationships and, and, and doing all, all those important things. And I, I, I'm a part of a life group. And what would I do without my life group? They're amazing. That's who I do life with. And so many other friends along the way. This is the church. The church is people. That's who we are. But we also have a mission. So some people like emphasize the people part of it. And then some people emphasize the mission part of it, the cause. We're to get the word out. We're to see lives transformed. We're to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We're to take next steps uh, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community and in our world. And here's over 35 years of, of being a pastor, what I've learned. We desperately, desperately need both. To thrive, we need that huge emphasis, that 100% emphasis on people, relationships, love for one another, all the one another's of scripture. We need team. We need friends. You need friends. We absolutely have to have that. And I encourage you, if you don't have people that you are doing life with, if you aren't having people that you can lock arms with, who have your back, who pray for you, and you don't have people like that in your life, by all means, we'd love to get you connected up through a life group. Contact us and say, I'd love to join a life group, a Bible study, a men's group, a women's group, whatever it might be, and we'll love to get you connected up. But we all know the importance of those. So team up, and on this day, um, thank God if you have people like that in your life because they make a huge difference. So that's one thing we need, but we also 100%, it's not 50-50, it's like 100% commitment to the family of God, the church of God, but also 100% commit, a commitment to the mission of God. That is to advance the cause of Jesus, to see his name become renowned and more famous in this world, to expand the glory and the majesty, or at least the awareness of his glory and majesty in this community and around the world. So we advance the cause, we see what we can do, using our gifts, abilities, our generosity, our sacrifice, our sweat and labor, our prayers to see Jesus and his kingdom advance. We need that too. So if you're looking to get involved somewhere, like maybe you've, maybe the last while here, you've been kind of laid back. Maybe you once were volunteering the life of the church, but you say, okay, I, I've kind of laid back for that. Now's the time, next chapter, Let's, let's get you involved together. Let's get off the sidelines and just say, get in the game and make a difference. You can make a huge difference with whatever uh, cause or, or gifts or abilities or passion that you might have. So get some people around you and get involved in the cause. We need both because the church has a mission and the mission has a church. Okay, so that's how to thrive. Second principle, I love this. Set yourself in the middle of a good church, and you know what's going to happen? The mundane 
Yeah. Sometimes it's kind of ordinary, seems. And the miraculous. It's like the extraordinary. Like God shows up in a big, 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 big way. They both can happen. And they both will happen. Okay, so look what, here, here what happens. Uh, uh, this is a record of a good day in the life of the church. Verse 7. By the way, before we read it, there's a lot of different reactions to sermons or messages recorded in the Bible, but this one is totally unique. There's no other record of this sort of thing happening to, in any message of any prophet or Jesus or apostle or anything in the whole Bible. So pay attention. All right, here we go. On the first day of the week, we assembled to break bread. Paul spoke to them, and since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Wow. There were many lamps in the room upstairs, so it's kind of hot. It's kind of stuffy. It's kind of warm. It's kind of cozy where we were assembled. And a young man named Eutychus was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. Wow. When he was overcome, Eutychus, by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was picked up dead. He, he, he got killed because he fell out of a third story window. But Paul went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. So evidently, Paul resuscitates, brings him back to life. Supernaturally, miraculously, amazingly. This happened in church. Guy falls asleep now, picks him up, and he's alive again. And then it says, verse 11, after going upstairs, breaking the bread, and eating, Paul talked a long time again until dawn. Wow, that's a long message. Aren't you feeling so blessed today? Okay, then he left, and they brought home the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Wow, we got our son back from the dead. That's an unusual day in church. A very long message, but you did get to see a resurrection. That's pretty amazing. All right. So with all of that, I want to give to you a, a kind of warning about listening to this message today. Okay. And in order to do that, I want to share with you a poem that I uh, read in one of our children's Bible story rhyme books that talks about this very story. All right. You with me? You listening? Poor sleepy Eutychus, a sitting without squirming, perching on a window ledge to hear an endless sermon. Now his eyes are droopy, sitting way up high. Poor sleepy Eutychus is just about to die. But St. Paul keeps on a preaching to our hero snoozing hard. Then Eutychus leans into the air and crashes in the yard. But Paul is an apostle, quite unlike other men. Down he runs to Eutychus and gives him life again. So... If you're going to sleep in church, don't from a window fall, because this man up front of preaching is not Apostle Paul. I can't help you. You're on your own at that point. So you all got an extra hour of sleep today, so that shouldn't be a problem. By the way, just a quick word on sleeping in church. It's a 2,000-year it's a, it's a tradition, okay? It started here. And people sleep in church for all kinds of reasons. Understand this. And they do. Some do. Not many. I don't see many sleepers at Valley, but occasionally. And, and uh, you know, it happens. Um, but there are all kinds of reasons. I remember uh, uh, somebody who was a hero to me uh, as, a, as a young pastor was an incredible pastor uh, named Charles or Chuck Swindoll. And Chuck Swindoll, he's an author and writer of many books, still pastoring at age 87, uh, told a story about a time in his life when he was speaking at a conference. 
And uh, a woman introduced uh, herself and her husband on the first day of the conference and said, we are so excited to be here at this conference. This is amazing. Can't wait. And so he met them and, and kind of noticed them. And then when he started to give his first message, and he gave several uh, during this conference, um, he noticed that um, in the first message that he looked out and the woman was paying a lot of attention, but the husband was just absolutely uh, fast asleep. And it was kind of like, what's going on, you know? And and then the second time he spoke, it happened again. It happened several times. And he's like, okay, I kind of get what's happening here. Um, The wife dragged the husband along to come to this conference. He doesn't really really be here. And he's kind of, you know, not that spiritually interested. And so he falls asleep in my message. I get it. And so at the end of the conference, uh, the woman came up to uh, Chuck Swindoll. And she says, hey, I just wanted to tell you. We are so glad that we um, could be here to hear you speak in person. I, I want to apologize for my, my husband. He, he, he fell asleep um, uh, several times in the course of your messages. But you know what? He, um, he's been diagnosed with terminal cancer. He's on a lot of, of, of drugs. And he said, you know what I'd like to do before I die is I would really like to hear Chuck Swindoll preach in person. So thank you for that opportunity. And Chuck Swindoll tells this story, and he said, and I felt about this tall, because I judged that guy. So, you know, people are coming from all different walks of life, even in that. However, I will say this. Uh, I love what Chuck Swindoll says about this passage. He says, I, I feel really sorry for Eutychus. It was bad enough for the fellow to sleep, fall asleep in church while Paul was preaching. He even fell out of the window to his death three stories below. But then of all things, Dr. Luke includes the incident for all the world to read down through the centuries. Think of that. The only time Eutychus uh, got his name in Scripture was when he died while sleeping in church. That makes you glad the Bible is uh, complete, doesn't it? Uh, So he he writes, if the same thing happened to sleepers today, every church would have to build a morgue in their basement. There isn't an experienced preacher who hasn't faced the most incredible and sometimes hilarious slumbering saints in the pews or the seats. I've seen them bump their heads, he writes, on the back of the pew or the seats in front of them, snore out loud, stay seated when everyone else has stood up, drool on their Bible, even drop their Bible, then jump on and hit the floor. I've seen all those myself. Two key takeaways from this section about Eutychus, and they are this. Often the miraculous happens in the middle of the mundane. Sometimes it's just, you know, you're just about your ordinary life. And then suddenly God shows up and you weren't really expecting it or anticipating it, but it was in that mundane that actually you saw God work. So that's a takeaway. And then also experiencing the miraculous, or if it doesn't have to be an actual miracle like a resurrection, but just God breaking through in surprising, extraordinary ways, um, experiencing that means being faithful in the mundane. Um, Good spiritual habits that you, you, you maintain every day, every week, every month, every year. Um, living life on mission, staying aware of the presence of God, viewing every circumstance as an opportunity for God to show up in a constant, you know, pray without ceasing, and, and, and meditating and pondering the word of God and keeping that fresh and, and, and engaging in worship. All of those things uh, can be opportunities for God to show up. So you show up in the mundane, and God says, not every time, of course, or every day, but you be faithful in the ordinary, 
and you're going to experience some extraordinary, all right? Um, also, the other thing that I notice about this passage is that uh, it mentions they gathered together on the first day of the week. This is the first mention, that was in verse 7, uh, the first mention of the first day of the week as the day of worship for uh, believers in Christ in the Bible. Um, so gradually, here's what happens. Over time, the church shifts from of the Sabbath, which was essentially Saturday, uh, that was when the worship uh, in the Jewish background, to the first day of the week, which is Sunday, the Lord's Day. And over time, that shifted. And here you see evidence of that right here. It shifts to the resurrection day. Eventually, in the scriptures, it's called the Lord's Day because it's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. And you see that this was a, a practice of the early church to say, we're, we're gonna worship together on the first day of the week. We're gonna gather together at least once a week um, to, to get together. And then in Acts, you also see them gathering in homes and other things all the time. Every day of the week, there's different people gathering, like our life groups. But there was a gathering of God's people. And I really want to emphasize that because this is a part of that um, God often shows up in those uh, moments of the mundane to do something amazing. So um, thriving in the mission of life takes a lot of mundane just ordinary faithfulness day in, day out. Look at verse 13 and on, okay? So here, and this is a section of scripture that you're gonna read through real fast because, you know, it's like a travel log and it might not be the most fascinating part of scripture, but it's part of life, okay? We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos where we were going to take Paul on board because there were, these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. When he met us at Assos, uh, we took him on board and went, to Mytilene. Uh, sailing from there, we went. Next day, we arrived off Chios. The following day, we crossed over to Samos. And the next day, we came to Miletus, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus. He didn't want to go to Ephesus back there uh, to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, uh, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. So there's a strategy to all this, but there's just a lot of mundane traveling, getting on ships, walking, and all and so forth. Here's a... Here's a um, Here's a map of this missionary journey, which started way back, the third missionary journey, way over here in Antioch. And remember, Paul made his way over to Ephesus. And then what we read about in the last few weeks is him kind of uh, planting these churches that are in Revelation 2 and 3. He was a part of that in some way. And then making his way, revisiting some of the churches that he had earlier started on the first and second missionary journeys, making his way all the way back. And now he's saying, okay, so now we're heading back towards Jerusalem. And he is going as fast as he can, but then he stops at Miletus. And this was a very important, significant moment in the life of Paul. Um, Luke was there and he includes all these details to set the story of the early church in real geographical, historical context. Here's the thing about the Bible. It's not once upon a time. It's rooted in history. That's why I show you photos. That's why I show you maps. You say, these places exist. They're real places. These are actual people. And there's historical records and archaeological records that show this is all true, guys. Um, so that's why we have all this here, um, to root it, our faith in, in, in history, in, in truth, of actual events that occurred. Um, and so this whole missionary journey takes like five years. It was a five years of amazing acts of God and experiences in the church. But like this last paragraph, not every day was spectacular. Every day, well, every day, some days were just, we got on a boat and it took a while to get to the next place. And then we waited there for them to show up. And then, you know, 
Here, here's, here's the point of all this, is that not every day of your life is just one spectacular miracle after another. In fact, most of it isn't. So my good friend Larry Osborne, incredible pastor out in California and author of a lot of books, he talks about this, why the mundane matters. And I just thought I'd mention these very quickly to you because here's why. Uh, first, the mundane matters because it's where most of us will live most of our life. I mean, most of your life is not lived, you know, in, in incredible moments, it's, you know, taking out the trash, it's going to work, it's cleaning your house, it's driving your car, it's taking your kids someplace, it's, uh, you know, doing your taxes. I mean, it's stuff like that, you know? That's where most of us live life. So it matters, the mundane matters. Second is, mundane still fits with the abundant life that Jesus promised. Um, he did say, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. But we learn even here from the Apostle Paul that not every single day was just spectacularly wonderful. Uh, the abundant life, we learn, is not the easy life uh, because we see a lot of suffering and hardship along the way that Jesus says actually helps us to come more in contact with his heart and become more like him. So abundant living isn't the carefree life. It's a rich, full life. And, uh, but the abundant life also isn't fully experienced all in this life. So there's a lot of incredible things that God does in the course of our life, but we look forward to an eternity uh, of not mundane living, incredible presence of God living. So uh, keep those in mind as you think about that. Um, a third thing is that uh, who I become is far more important than what I accomplish. So in the mundane is where a lot of soul shaping takes place in our lives. Uh, it's where uh, our God is working to make us more like Jesus, to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And let's face it, you know, you can gain a lot of the fruit of the Spirit by having to be patient with workplace issues or, uh, or you know, seeing where you're going to find joy in the midst of a lot of monotony that might happen because of, of, of things you're doing with your family or, or situations where you're, you're driving someplace or whatever. There's all sorts of things that happen, soul shape, the character of who I am in a lot of mundane stuff of life. Um, also, it takes a lot of mundane steps to get to the mountaintop. You know, I can remember going on trips with Ruth where we, we, we climbed up to the top of small mountains, and, um, but it was amazing. The view from up there was incredible but, and well worth it. But before the view that we got to, there was just a lot of step-by-step -step through life and a lot of moments in life, a lot of mountaintop experiences are arrived at through faithfulness in the mundane, through following Jesus in the ordinary things of life, having integrity, finding joy, being patient, loving people, all right, in ordinary circumstances. Uh, uh, also, uh, if I can't find purpose and joy in the, mundane, in the mundane, I'll never find them anywhere. I think a lot of people are just looking for the next thrill, the next big adventure, the next big, uh, you know, success, the next big whatever it is, and then I'll be happy. But, you know, Jesus uh, shares with us that we can have joy um, in just walking with him daily. And, um, you know, the book of Ecclesiastes talk, talks about uh, if you can find a way to eat and drink and, uh, and work and find joy in those things, just ordinary daily meals and, and, and what you do for work and just enjoying those moments and finding joy in them, then that's a gift of God. 
That's an amazing experience because most of life is found there. And a lot of us are looking for those incredible breakthrough things when really the, fine, the purpose and joy can be found in the mundane. Now, we love the mountaintop experiences, but if you can't find them there in the ordinary, you may be longing and never experiencing uh, them because you keep waiting for some big thing that may or may not come. Uh, and then uh, lastly, to be trusted with much, be faithful with little. In other words, um, a lot of ordinary life is just being faithful every day to follow Jesus. And as we faithfully do the little, Jesus says, if you're faithful much, you'll be faithful. God will entrust you with more. So if you want to experience more, then be faithful in the mundane, the ordinary things of life. So it may not be your favorite, but you know what? God's called you to that ordinary life a lot of the time. And find the presence of the Holy Spirit and the goodness of God in each of those everyday moments with your child, at your workplace, in the neighborhood. All right? Uh, third principle, uh, if you want to thrive in the next chapter of your life, keep the main things the main things. And here's where we land today. Um, keep the main things the main things. He says, now from Miletus, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. So he didn't stop at Ephesus. Uh, there are ma many reasons for that. Um, most, perhaps because he was trying to get to Jerusalem. And he, if he knew if he stopped at Ephesus, everyone would want to see him, and there was dangers there, so forth. So he's like, okay, we're just going to do that. Instead, he brings the uh, elders, the leaders of the church at Ephesus, to him at Miletus. He calls for them. Miletus was an amazing place, and they would journey 30 miles to this now. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's ruins there now. But it, it, had, it was a very prosperous place. It had three harbors, an amazing place. So he stops there, and the, the, the elders from Ephesus come to Miletus to meet him. And this farewell speech um, that Paul is going to make is, is absolutely phenomenal. And we'll look at it over the next three uh, weekends. But uh, it's, it, it ta he talks really what's important in our lives and what's important in the life of the church. We'll continue this for the next two weekends. But I want to tell you, here we're going to outline for us, keep the main things the main things. This is for everybody in the church. This is for the leaders of the church. This is for your own spiritual growth uh, and it's for the spiritual flock that God has entrusted to your care. So maybe your family, the people in your life group, volunteers that you help, whatever it might be, whatever flock God has entrusted to you, if anyone, this is how you keep the main things the main things. Okay, and there's three of them. Uh, and here's how his farewell conversation with these elders from Ephesus begins. When they came to him, he said to them, you, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. He says, here's the principle. Um, if you're going to keep the main things the main things, serve the Lord passionately. He says, through all those times, I was serving the Lord with all humility. He kept his heart humble with tears. He had emotional connection to people. He wasn't a far-off scholar or academic who just saw people at a distance. He entered into the hurts and pains of people. That's where the richness of life is. And yeah, it's hard sometimes, but when you're passionate about helping people and loving your neighbors and caring about people in the, in the church of Jesus, that's where the richness of life is. Sometimes we, we shelter and shield ourselves from this, but we're missing out. If you want to thrive, don't keep your distance. Enter in. 
Go passionate with the mission of Jesus. Serve the Lord passionately. And then he says, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. He says, I had to persevere through really tough times, but the passion they had for Jesus kept him going. So maybe today it's like you need to rekindle that flame that you have for Jesus. Maybe there's, you've lost a little bit of your first love for Jesus. And there's a day, today's a day that you say, okay, God brought me to today, the national holiday of fallback, to say, I need to rekindle my relationship with Jesus Christ and ask him to do a work in your heart. I notice here that he's, he doesn't view this mission as a job. It's a calling of God. And we're on mission. We live his mission and we love his church. Not as a duty, but as a calling, a rich calling from God. And he says, I was present with you the whole time. There's, there's, there's that, I love that word, I was with you the whole time. Sometimes thriving means drawing near to somebody in your life that really needs you or that you can help or you can shepherd and say, I was with you the whole time. Um, I stuck with you during the difficulties. I, I was with you when you went through that trial. And there's something about that passion that keeps you near to people and near to his mission that makes all the difference. Okay, so that's serve the Lord passionately. Then he goes on. He goes, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. Here's the next principle. We have to teach the word thoroughly. In the church, in our own personal lives, to our children. Uh, you notice here that he does this in large groups, publicly. Uh, he did this at the uh, lecture hall of Tyrannus in, in Ephesus. And from house to house, there's a lot of small group meetings he had. When you're there two or three years, you have a lot of conversations. And he, he was faithful. He didn't avoid people. He followed through. He, he didn't hold back. And he says, I did not hold back from you anything that was profitable. The word here is helpful. It really profited you spiritually. And it was biblical. He taught the word of God. He taught them whatever it took to help them grow in their faith and to come closer and be more like Jesus. I want to share this with you very quickly. At Valley Church, we are unapologetically biblical. Uh, we believe that God, the, the Bible is the word of God, and we stand upon it. Uh, we're, we're thankful for the incredible revelation of God that has been given to us in the pages of Scripture. And we, we uh, with excitement and with passion, and we pray with faithfulness and, and, um, and trustworthiness to the Word of God, uh, teach His Word. And so one of, the, one of the biggest things that you can count on here at Valley Church is that we're always going to open the Scriptures. We're always going to look at what God says. Nobody came here today to hear Quentin's opinions. No one cares about Quentin's opinions at all, actually. My wife occasionally wants to hear my opinion, but pretty much nobody else. So guys, we're here to, to teach the word of God. And that's not just from here as I give a message or Brandy gives a message, but that's in our life groups. That's wherever we are. We're opening the word of God in our children's ministry, student ministries. It's unapologetically in the word always, keeping our finger on the text of scripture. We also want it to be relevant, straightforward, practical, helpful, profitable. We always want to deliver the word in such a way that really builds you up and helps you to take those next steps spiritually. Sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes it's a stretch. But we always want to be out of a heart of love that is really wanting the spiritual, relational, and every way best for your life. And that's why, guys, we, we believe the Bible. And normally, as you know, we're just 
we're just going through books of the Bible and, and just giving you a verse-by-verse explanation of what God's Word teaches. I mean, I don't know how many messages we've had, like 35, 40 messages in the book of Acts, and we're not done yet. But that's the way God revealed his word to us, and that's the way we like to teach it. Occasionally, we'll do a systematic theology on a topic or a subject or around a theme, and we love that too, because you can pull together different things from different places of Scripture and bring them together. But no matter what, our bread and butter is the word of God. That's what we live on every single day, and we do that at all levels. To To the person who's still kicking the tires of Christianity, they don't even know if it's true. To the most serious uh, devout believer in Jesus. We want to have opportunities for all of those different people together to hear it when we gather in worship. It's for everybody. And then in different opportunities to explore it at whatever level God may have for you. And it's so needed on our day to dive back into the scriptures and to find this is the truth that stands the test of time, 2,000 years and going, and it's still there for us. You know, I, I say this. Uh, let's turn to verse 21. Um, uh, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. So he's reminding them that he was faithful to share the gospel. He shared the gospel widely. If you want to thrive and we want to thrive as a church, we get the word out to as many people as we possibly can, all right? The whole gospel. He says about repentance that is turning from our sin toward God and then faith, trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection. It, it is that whole gospel. So, guys, um, I, I close with this. Uh, years ago, there was a church um, that had uh, an archway over the entrance to the church, and it said, it was quoting Paul, it says, We preach Christ and him crucified. We preach Christ and him crucified. Over time, there was ivy on this brick uh, walls of the church, and gradually the, uh, the ivy began to, to cover over some of the words. And it became from we preach Christ and him crucified to we preach Christ. And finally, the ivy continued to grow, and it ended up with we preach. We never want that to be the story of Valley Church. We want ourselves to always be faithful in every area to unapologetically and with joy and with passion and with practicality and relevancy, but always faithful to the ancient truths of God's word. We preach Christ and him crucified. So today marks the opportunity, not just for surviving, but to turn the page and say, I want to thrive in the next chapter of my life. I invite you right now to pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for every person who's watching and and joining in on this message. We're so thankful that we can open the book and learn just eternal, timeless truths in this changing and shifting days. We have something that can help us not just to bear down and grit it through, but actually to live a life of joy and purpose and goodness every single day of our lives, and to actually thrive in the next chapter of life. I pray, O oh God, that you would bless every person who hears these words, because your word is a fountain of life to every person who drinks of it. I pray this blessing upon every single person in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed and said, amen. God bless you all.